Hi, and welcome to the KC Praxis Teaching of the Week. We hope that you enjoy this message from Liz Devon. And so as I've been thinking about all we've learned so far in Ephesians, I can't escape this thought that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's making the point that there is so much more going on in the world than we are even aware of. God has chosen us, given us a plan and a purpose, and made us into a masterpiece. We are reminded that God is going to do far more than we could think or imagine with the offerings we give him. We are connected to this bigger story, this bigger family, where forgiveness and grace are offered freely, and we all belong. Tonight we are concluding Ephesians looking at the armor of God, and here's a little bit of context just to remind you of Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, a little bit of context just for you guys as we read this passage. The Ep- Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus from prison. Israel and really most of the known world at this time was being occupied by Rome. The Romans were not known for being kind and understanding. Um, they were known for delivering justice swiftly, all in the name of bringing peace to the world. And here we're going to be looking at a rather famous part of Ephesians. Most of the time when people think of Ephesians, the armor of God is one of the things that pops into their minds. Um, And as we read this, I would encourage you to look at words or themes that are repeated, because things are repeated quite a a bit in this section. Um, And we're going to be reading uh, verses 10 through 19. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 19 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand. You guys are picking up there's a theme there with standing. Um, We sang about it a little bit. Um, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts. I personally like arrows a little more than darts. Arrows coming at you feels a little bit more... In a dart. Um, but whatever, I didn't, I didn't translate this. So, uh, flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now clearly when Paul is writing this, he is describing a Roman soldier. Now if I were to ask you to picture a soldier in your mind, there are images that are going to pop into your mind. Um, In my family, I have people who have served in the military. I have seen pictures of my dad in his Marines uniform. I've seen pictures of my grandfather in his army uniform. And there are just things that come to mind when we think of soldiers. And this is what Paul is doing in his letter. He is describing the armor of the Roman soldiers that they would wear all the time. 
However, most of these pieces on a soldier would mean that they would be marching off to war and that they would have to fight in their own strength with their own skills. But that's not the emphasis that Paul is putting on these items. So let's start at the beginning. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. He says it twice. And this means that I do not get to pick and choose what parts of the armor I am putting on for the day. It's all or nothing. And it's so important that Paul says it twice. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. With the whole armor of God, we can resist and stand against the schemes of the devil and the evil that is in our world. It's also interesting to me that we are commanded four times to stand. And you would think that if we were going into some kind of battle, that there would be some kind of emphasis on taking ground, forging ahead, attacking, all these things. But that's not what we're told at all. We are literally told to put on this armor and stand. And as we take a deeper look into some of these word meanings, the word that Paul uses here for stand is less about the action of physically standing, but more about what are you standing on? What are you standing on? What is your foundation made out of? What are you rooted in? Are you standing on things that will fail? Are you staking your claim in something that is faulty? Are you building your life on a foundation that will crumble at the first sign of trouble? Or are you standing on the firm foundation that is Jesus? We literally just sang about that. In Ephesians 2, we talked about how God is building a house and all of us are being fit into this house and Jesus is the cornerstone that is holding it all together. Is that what you're standing on? If it is, your foundation is going to be solid. If you're standing on or hoping on or banking on something or someone else, hoping that they'll be strong enough, I'm sorry to tell you, but it will fail. It may not fail at first. You might be able to stand there for a little while, but over time, that foundation is going to fail. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand. There are these stories in the Old Testament about the people of Israel and some of the battles or encounters that they had. Um, for example, in um, Exodus 14, I believe it's 14, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt and are stuck at the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is coming at them and they're freaking out, and Moses tells the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then he raised the staff, put it in the water, and the water parted, allowing the Israelites to go through safely. In Exodus 17, Moses and the people of Israel are, Israel are fighting Amalek and his armies. Doing my best to pronounce tonight. Do we remember this? Do you remember this one? So the people are fighting, but as long as Moses keeps his arms up, the people of Israel prevailed, and his arms grew weary. So Hur and Aaron held up his arms until the battle was won. And there's another story in 2 Kings 6 where Elisha and his student are surrounded by the Arameans, and they are looking to kill them. And Elisha's student is panicking, so Elisha prays that God would open his student's eyes so that he could see what was really going on. And when the student opens his eyes, not only does he see the, the army that's in front of him, but they're surrounded by chariots and soldiers of fire. God was opening his eyes so he could see that there was something else happening. And it's almost like Paul is recounting some of those stories where it is less about how skilled and tactful we are and how great and mighty and strong our God is. It's less about the battles we are fighting and more about us standing firm because God is winning, has won, and will continue to win every battle. There is, no more, there is so much more going on around us than we realize. Then Paul starts naming off 
different parts of this armor. He's, he's starting with the belt of truth, and I have always felt like that was like a strange place to start. When describing something, who starts with the middle? Like, it would make more sense to me had he started with the helmet of salvation or, you know, the sandals, top and bottom, but instead he starts right in the middle. Why start with the belt of truth? In a lot of ways, the belt is what holds most of the armor together. The sword would be fixed to the belt. There were ways to connect the breastplate and the shield to the belt to make them more secure. The belt was important. Paul is saying that truth needs to be the first thing we put on. Um, as a staff, we are going through a book called Broken Signposts by N.T. Wright, um, and we just finished this chapter on, on truth. And he states that truth, real truth, is what every single person is longing for. Truth is not popular opinion. It's not even really my opinion. It is not my opinion. Truth is not the same as facts. Half-truths and fake-truths are not the truth. The only real truth comes in the person of Jesus. Truth is not a destination, but a person, and that person is Jesus. The hard thing about truth is that we're never going to get all of the truth on this side of heaven. But we can continue to grow and continue to discern truth. We can point people to Jesus, which has really been our job all along. And truth is not, something, is not simply something that I believe is true, because honestly, my truth is flawed. And as we talked about this chapter of truth together, it became very clear that many of us struggled with this idea of truth. And I know I have spent a lot of my time learning to defend truth as if I can even come close with any eloquence to describe the beauty of the gospel, as if I could defend that in any way that made any sense. And I've even spent you know, a good chunk of my life learning those apologetics things, but I have not learned with as much time, I have not learned to discern truth. I've been handed a lot of facts and been told that that's what I need to believe because that's what everyone believes. And as I've started to take a closer look, I have learned that that's not all true. The only truth that I am willing to bet my life on is the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that it is through his life, death, and resurrection that I have a plan and a purpose. That is the truth that I want to fix every other part of my life on, and I will stand on that truth. I will put that truth on. The next part of the armor that is described is the breastplate of righteousness. In armor, the breastplate would protect all of your major organs, your heart, your lungs, your guts, all those major things. Um, the or these organs are the ones that keep you alive. Uh, with, you know, when they start to fail, you are dying. One wrong move or one wrong turn in, in battle could mean death. Righteousness is defined as living a, a right or moral life. In more biblical terms, it's a quality of believers of being right in the eyes of God in our character, attitude, thoughts, and actions. The breastplate of righteousness is showing us that while we are living, while all of our organs that are protected are functioning, we are to be living a life that is right in the eyes of God. Not a life that is right in the eyes of the world, but one where we see and live through the lens of what God says is right. Even when it seems awkward or odd, or when it seems like we are the only ones doing it, living in his righteousness is what we are told to do. And as for you, and as for your feet, putting on shoes, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, as followers of Jesus and believers of the gospel, we are messengers of peace. It's more than being willing to just share the gospel with others. Readiness should be a part of all of our lives. Knowing the gospel should make us alert and ready for whatever comes 
our way in life. Christians who carry this message are careful with their words and their actions. They do not live in the dark or stumble into the darkness. They live wisely, bringing restoration wherever they may be. Christians who live with the readiness given by the gospel of peace are agents of peace and love and are ready to do the whole will of God, no matter what it might cost them. And for many Christians, living at the time of Paul, when Paul wrote this letter, it cost many Christians their lives. Being ready with this gospel of peace cost them their lives, and it's costing people their lives still today. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In all circumstances, when times are good, when times are hard, when times are confusing, when it's time to celebrate, when it's time to mourn, we are to take up the shield of faith. The shield that Paul is envisioning is the shield that the Roman infantry would use. These shields would be um, about four feet tall and two and a half feet, wa- feet wide. So that's it's big. It's big. <laughs> I'm, I don't have a, a measuring tape or anything. They were constructed out of leather that was stretched over wood and reinforced at the top and bottom with metal. If they were soaked in water, they would be really effective at extinguishing flaming arrows that were shot at them. And during battle, if these shields were interlocked with some, in some way, they would protect more than just one soldier. It would provide protection for quite a few. And there's so much we can draw from this, this analogy and this, this uh, metaphor that Paul is using on how we can march into war and save the day, but that is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that the shield of faith is not made up of our own faith. It's not made up of my faith. Because if I'm really honest, a lot of days my faith is pretty flimsy. And if flaming arrows were being shot at me and it was up to my faith to hold them off, I would have a very burned leg or, you know, I would not be here right now. The shield of faith is to remind us of how strong and great and undeniable the faithfulness of God is. I can think through times of my life where the struggles and worries of what was going on around me and in me consumed every part of me to the point of literally having to drag myself out of bed. But through those times, the nearness of God was so palatable. It was as if I could just close my eyes and God was right there and I could touch him. In my moments of doubt or defeat, the faithfulness of God was a constant presence to protect me. And I am thankful that God does not leave me to protect myself against the lies, schemes, and destruction of evil. Next is the helmet of salvation. When I was younger, maybe in third grade, uh, my brother and my neighbor and I were outside on a Friday evening. It was the 90s. We were outside a lot. Um, Neither one of my parents was home. They were working. Um, And we would be outside a lot where my parents live. Um, The neighborhood is, I mean, it's like picturesque. Everybody knows each other. There's not anything bad that really happens there. There's no drama. Everyone walks their dogs at like 7 o'clock at night so you can see everybody in the neighborhood. Um, And so we were outside, and it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And my dad had just come home from work, um, and we were playing this baseball game where we would line up, and the person in the middle would throw up a ball and hit it, and the other two would take off, and the first person to go get the ball could bat next. It wasn't complex. It was a fairly easy game. The rules were fairly simple. And on this particular evening, I was standing a little too close to my neighbor, and as he swung, I got his backswing right across my face. Um, It sent me flying backwards. Um, And it was a total accident. I was standing too close, and I knew I was, because I wanted to get the edge. I wanted to get there, you know, 
rather competitive. And so I sat there rather stunned and hurt. Um, kind of the cherry on top of this story is that I believe it was picture week, like the next week at school, and I had this metal baseball bat imprint on my face. Like my face was just swollen and I, had, I got a pretty good concussion and a few stitches. Uh, but everything's fine now, I think. I think I'm, I think I'm normal from this whole situation. <laughs> I didn't have a helmet on. <laughs> my head was not protected. And as with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation is not about my salvation. It's about the salvation that only comes from God. And as we've learned through Ephesians already, we belong to the family of God and therefore have been rescued by faith from evil. We are now able to stand against anything that may come our way. This helmet reminds us that it is by grace that we have been saved and it is not of anything we have done, but it is a gift from God. And I don't know about you, how things are in, in your life. Um, I've shared a little bit about my struggle with anxiety here. Um, I can get lost in my thoughts pretty quickly. The, the what ifs, the worst case scenarios um, can literally flood my mind and cloud my judgment and cause my whole body to freeze to where I can't breathe. Um, yeah, it gets, it gets rough. Um, and it's a daily practice that I have to literally center myself on God's word and on his promises to help me combat those thoughts. Because if I do not keep those thoughts at bay, they will literally consume me. Some things I do like to, you know, practically daily is to read or listen to God's word. I even have in my Apple Music, there's a playlist called Songs for Anxiety and Stress. Um, it was inspired by J.J. Heller, but I have added my own my own songs to that as well. So when I can feel that coming on, I, can, I know I can just click on that, change what I'm thinking about automatically. And N.T. Wright says that we should wear this helmet always, reminding ourselves of the salvation that comes from God and that we are saved. And finally, and then it's take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The interesting thing about the sword of the Spirit is that it's the only offensive weapon that we have. Every other part of the armor is used for defense. Throughout the Bible, God's word is the way in which he has shown his power. In creation, his spoken word is what brought everything to life. In other areas, God's word brought about judgment and salvation. The word of God in this particular verse is talking about the gospel. The emphasis is not only on proclaiming the gospel. The gospel, empowered by the spirit, is the way in which a well-armed Christian is protected and empowered for life. The word of the gospel is the way which God accomplishes his powerful cleansing work in the hearts and minds of his people. It is simply not our job to go around hitting people on the head with the Bible. That's not what we're supposed to do. One final observation about this armor is there isn't anything to cover your back. There, there is no turning back from this battle. As a follower of Jesus, we are in this battle we're kind of whether we want to be or not, we are there. We are to stand and watch as our God defeats the enemy. A follower of Jesus is known by the way they live in God's truth, his righteousness, readiness, faith, salvation, and the gospel. And we cannot turn back because we know that God has already won. He's going to win today, and he will continue to win tomorrow. The last part I want to focus on in this whole thing is prayer. With prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. 
that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And I read this part of the passage and I am always convicted. Paul is in prison writing this letter. There is no way out. If I were in his position, I would have probably ended the letter with, pray also for me so that when the time comes, I can escape and get out of here. But that's not what he says. He says, pray also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In other letters, Paul writes about prayer as something we should constantly be doing. Some even consider prayer to be a continuation of the armor of God. Prayer is something we are equipped with and therefore should be using all the time. Prayer and praying are not optional for followers of Jesus. It is to be ingrained as part of our lives. The world will know we are followers of Jesus by the way we are praying for one another and for them. Imagine how different our city or world would be if believers prayed continually for each other and the world. Prayer is still a mystery and no one knows exactly how it works, but what we do know is that through the Spirit, when we pray, we are given gifts and are empowered by God. And by definition, followers of Jesus are people who pray and are alert. So I'll end with this, and then Jake and Allie are going to come up with a, with a practice for us all. The armor of God doesn't have a whole lot to do with us. It is through the grace and power of God that we can stand on his truth that we are all searching for. It is through the grace and power of God that we are moved to live lives that are just and right. It is through the grace and power of God that we are ready with the message of peace to a world that is so desperate for it. It is through the faithfulness of God that we are protected from the lies, schemes, despair, and darkness of our enemy that he flings at us every day. It is through the salvation that God has offered to all of us that we can stand in victory while the battle wages on. It is through the truth and power of the gospel that we have a relationship with Jesus. N.T. Wright says, never give up on the sheer truth of the gospel. It is through the mystery of prayer that we pray boldly, no matter what the circumstances may be, for one another and for the world around us. The beautiful thing about all of this is that we don't do this alone. We have each other to lean on when we get weary, to stand us up when we get tired, to pray for each other when everything's to come crashing down. We may be rather ragged of an army when someone looks at us, but we're standing on the firm foundation of the gospel, grace, and peace that comes through Jesus. We hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching. To connect with us and for more resources, you can find us on social media as Casey Praxis or email us at caseypraxis at 180lodi.org.